Welcome, baseball fans, to episode eight of Banished to the Pen podcast, the audio component of the website Banished to the Pen, a group baseball blog produced by fans of the Effectively Wild podcast. I am your host, Ryan Sullivan, editor-in-chief of NatsGM.com and the baron of all baseball podcasts. This week, I am excited to be joined by two major contributors to Banish to the Pen, Mark Sands and Ben Sweeza. Guys, say hello to the audience. Hey, Ryan, how are you? I am and, good. And hi, you? audience. <laughs> hey, Ryan. Hey, audience. Very good to make your acquaintance this week, guys. You guys have been doing a lot of great work on the site, and I'm very excited to talk uh, a little baseball with you on this extraordinarily snowy and chilly day here in Washington, D.C. So I'm glad to make your guys' acquaintance and uh, talk a little baseball with you. Oh, we're happy. I'm happy to be here. As am I. Okay, guys, uh, as we start each week, I want to have you guys introduce yourselves to the audience, Twitter handle, uh, what team you're a fan of, day job if you want to share it, just whatever you want to share to uh, introduce yourselves and get acquainted with the audience. So uh, let's start alphabetically. I'm going to go with Ben first this week. Ben, introduce yourself. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Ryan. So my name is Ben Suisa. You can find me on Twitter at bsuisa. That's B-S-U-I-S-S-A for the name that you can never pronounce and spell. I am actually a student as my day job, and while I'm not at school studying business, I'm writing week- weekly or bi-weekly articles to really, really about whatever topics to sort of write down throughout the week that seem interesting to me and might be interesting to the audience, and really following no sort of theme, which is, I kind of like that, and following the effectively wild and offbeat kind of writing that doesn't always follow you know mainstream topics. And that's what I've been doing for about a year now. So since Banish of the Pen started and uh, doing some other fantasy writing uh, before that as well, as well as the offbeat, uh, interesting things. Well, at least I find them interesting. Very cool. And yeah, so that's me. Uh, what team do you follow? And I am a Jays fan. Okay. We've had a Jays fan on, but you're a Jays fan from actually Toronto, right? Yeah, actually Toronto. Wow, I can't even imagine how cold it is up there. Okay, uh, Mark, introduce yourself, please. Hey, audience, this is uh, Mark Sands. You can find me on Twitter at SharkMGS, where I complain about Brad Ausmus's managerial decisions a lot. Uh, I'm a Tigers fan, obviously. Uh, I've written a couple articles on the site about the Tigers, and I did the Houston Astros uh, season preview. Uh, let's see, I'm, a, I'm an attorney here in Lansing. Uh, not very exciting. I, I'm not a baseball coach. I, everyone else you've had, Ryan, has had such exciting jobs. And I was like, oh, I have to tell everybody. I sit at a desk all day and write not things that are about baseball. Yeah, but you get to trump them because as we get to share, it is your birthday today. So happy that's, birthday. That's true. Well, thank you very much. It's, it's also Alan Trammell's birthday, Ooh, <laughs> which, was, which was a treat growing up. Should be Hall of Famer Alan Trammell, yes. Absolutely. Well, you know, the nice thing about uh, being on a, a, a site like uh, Banish to the Pen is that it's like-minded people that understand that, you gosh darn right, Alan Trammell should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, one of the top eight shortstops of all time. Yeah, he should be in the Hall of Fame, correct. Absolutely. Okay, guys, first place I want to start, and I forgot to even ask you guys, uh, but how did you all become a fan of Effectively Wild, and are you Team Ben or Team Sam? Let's start one more time. I'll start with Ben. Well, the last couple months I've been – well, before before last week, actually, I was sort of growing a beard of my own or, or what I call a beard of my own. So when I saw the, the Sam beard picks, I, I sort of was undecidedly – sorry, decidedly on, on Team Sam at that point. I mean, there was a lot of rig in that beard, let's be honest. There, there, there was. There was. It, it, had, it had me looking up all those Red Sox playoff beards. I, I spent a lot of – did a lot of beard research after that, I would say that. Have you been a uh, effectively wild fan for a long time? So I've been sort of a casual baseball fan for, for you know, since I was since I was a kid. Um, maybe more about a year and a half ago, I really started getting more interested in, in statistics and a lot of the a lot a lot of the fan graphs readings and BP and that that kind of the sabermetric um, type type literature. That was about a year ago, and so ever since I've. I've started writing my own stuff and diving a little bit deeper into into that kind of that kind of uh, literature. And I guess about a year, a year, maybe eight months, nine months ago, I found Effectively Wild. 
sort of as a commuter podcast along with a couple couple others. So I guess it's been about 10 months now and I've been listening. Uh, I'm liking the team previews so far the last couple of weeks. And, yeah. Uh, same question, Mark. How would you become a fan and are you Team Ben or Team Sam? Well, uh, there were a lot of fat Mark Sands pictures going around, so I started doing some walking, and I wanted to find a baseball podcast, and I was starting to get into more advanced statistics. I, I've been a baseball fan my whole life, been a Tigers fan my whole life. Uh, kind of started getting curious about all these advanced stats, and a lot of them made a lot of sense to me and, and kind of enhanced my enjoyment of the game. Uh, so I picked up Effectively Wild mid in the middle maybe of the 2012 season. Really liked it. I, I, I think I'm Team Sam. He's just a little funnier. Yeah, I can see that. Although, uh, you know, Ben's got that very dry sense of humor. I don't know. That's true. I, I usually like the dry sense of humor, but the uh, the goofy Sam jokes, uh, the the bubbly laugh, I think, uh, might be a highlight of, of any given show that, that it shows up on. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think the beard put it over the top for me. But for a long time, I was Team Ben, and now I think the beard has put me on Team Sam. So, Although what's funny is when I first started listening, if you would have told me that Ben looks like somebody that uh, goes to my son's high school and that Sam looks like the older of the two, I would have said you were crazy. So I, I always thought seeing the, uh, the fully, bearded Sam, uh, fully bearded Sam was kind of a, uh, kind of a, a shock to the system. Yeah, I, I've interviewed Ben a couple times and seen him in person, and, and I, I did not expect him to look as young as he does. I, I always I say that in my interviews with him, and I feel like I, I don't mean it to be insulting, but it's just he looks so young. He's going to be a 50-year-old man and look like he's 30. It's going to be the greatest <laughs> well, he, thing he ever. He just has a voice that, that sounds very seasoned, for lack of a better term. And because he's got such big jobs and he's been so, you know he's done so much, you think he's 35 or 40 years old for whatever reason, mm-hmm. and he's just not. Right. So. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, I want to turn the topic now to let's talk a little baseball, if we can. Uh, I'm going to start with Mark. We're going to start, uh, I guess, alphabetically, uh, last name anyways. Uh, Mark, first place I wanted to start was I, I became acquainted with you with the site with uh, your Houston Astros preview, uh, which was terrific and uh, extremely thorough. I'll give you that. Um, I don't want to go through too much of the Astros today because I know effectively Wild just covered them well the other day, but couple of topics that I thought they were, I don't know, maybe overlooked a little bit that I wanted to get your take on was, first place I want to start is John Singleton. Uh, you know, just from, you know, Washington, D.C., a thousand miles away kind of perspective, it seemed like it was George Springer and John Singleton. John Singleton and Springer, I mean, those were kind of the two offensive building blocks. Right. You know, before the Correas and the other pieces arrived. It, and then it seemed like in the podcast the other day and even this offseason, it's been a little bit of, well, maybe Singleton will be part of the team. Maybe he'll be a triple-A. I'm just kind of your take on John Singleton at, at, you know, as a player and where he's at. Well, I really, this guy was 22 years old last year, and, and he, he showed a lot of power. I, I, you know, he had a, uh, his isolated power was over 160 at 13 homers. He had a, the problem is he didn't hit anything else. I mean, he hit 168, and I think people really have panicked about what do you do with a guy that either is hitting a home run or he's not making contact at all? And I, I think I mentioned that's kind of the microcosm of the, of the Astros in general. But the, the guy's done nothing but succeed. Every, and, you know, at every level, he's hit. And I think that we're forgetting, like you said, he's 22 years old. He missed, I think, 50 games for a suspension yep. a while back. This is, and he was drafted out of high school. He was a raw kid. It's not surprising that he didn't have – you know, or that he had some whiff and some contact issues at the major leagues. I'm just, I'm very surprised that it seems like almost baseball and and Houston is kind of wanting to turn the page on him. It seems like. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's really weird because if when you go into the numbers, there's a lot to like. I mean, he had a, he had a very high walk rate. It was 14 percent or thereabouts. You know, when he hit it, he hit it with 40. The ball would jump off the bat when he hit. I looked at some of his. Uh, some of his highlights and, the, and just when he made contact it was exceptional and and unfortunately i i think that there's a lot of overreaction to the 168 batting average and sure that's a what i think they said on the uh, podcast about bottom five uh batting average but he had a really low babip 
had a nice walk rate. He's got huge power. There's a lot to like about him, and I, I think it's odd that they're panicking a little, but I, I think part of that goes back to where are you going to play him? You have Carter, who hit 30, Chris Carter, hit 37 home runs last year. You got Gaddis, who you really don't want to have in the outfield. And you have Singleton. Well, two of those three guys have to play first base and DH. You can't play anywhere else. And so I think I think the thinking might be that, well, you know, we can send Singleton back down to AAA and maybe work on his contact ability. I don't think he has much to prove in AAA, quite frankly. But I think that might be the thinking. I mean, he but, played 54 games in AAA last year, and he hit 267, 397, of course, showed a ton of power. Right. Well, that leads into a bunch of other questions I want to ask. So then it seems like Houston, since the first of the year, I believe, has brought in Evan Gaddis and signed Colby Rasmus. So it seems like they're almost trying to put uh, John Singleton either on the bench or certainly into AAA, which – Leads to what are your thoughts on both of those moves, and are you surprised that they made those moves when they are, you know, they've got players there already that could fill those spots? Yeah, I was really surprised by the Rasmus move. I think that surprised me most of all. I mean, you have in the outfield, you have Jake Morasnik, who they really want to get into the lineup, and I think that was really clear, particularly in the uh, in the second part of the Astros uh, Effectively Wild podcast. I mean, this is a guy they really like. He's got plus defensive skills had some hitting success. I think he can probably be a little better hitter than he showed last year. Uh, you already have, of course, George Springer, who's, he's, that guy's a star. I mean, he's been a top prospect forever. He was tremendous in his uh, half a season last year in Houston. Uh, I, we were discussing off the, off the air, I mean, when this guy hits the ball, it jumps off the bat. And, and they bring in Colby Rasmus as, uh, He's okay. I, I, I just think maybe he was there and they were just, uh, they just wanted to have a veteran. I think, it, again, it goes back to maybe an overreaction to a, a Singleton kind of struggling in, on, at the major league level. And, and it's funny because you, you would, not a, not, it, this is not a, a mistake that I would really expect a, a, an organization like the Astros to make. I mean, they seem pretty, you know, rather famously analytic and smart and not overreacting to small sample sizes, but it's hard to say that's not what they're doing with Singleton. Yeah, I'm surprised because I like the Gaddis move in a vacuum and I like the Rasmus signing in a vacuum, but com- combined, I don't like it at all. I, I think that's a good way to put it. If they had signed one of those guys, it's probably a good move. Yeah, I, I think, think there's upside think- with both of them, absolutely. But now, I mean, you're going, you're going, you're going to put Gaddis in the lineup. Obviously, you're going to put Rasmus in the lineup. That's why you signed those guys to big league deals, and you have Singleton who has options. But they're not. It's not a World Series team this year. Maybe a playoff team if everything goes absolutely right. But uh, this is the kind of season when you have your your star pitchers coming up. Probably in 2016, you have a pal and. And White probably ready for 2016. This is the year where you give somebody like Singleton four or 500 plate appearance. Let's see what he can do. Either you know or you don't after this year. And it's just kind of odd that it seems the plan is we're going to let him show he's really good in AAA again. We already know that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So let me, uh, I could ask you questions all day about the Astros and we could go into prospects and this and that, but I also want to get to you on Detroit. So how about an over and under on Astros wins for this season? You know, I like the 77, 78 wins that you get from uh, from Pakoda and Fangraphs. I think they're going to go a little over. Their contact rate is bound to go up. And when their contact rate goes up, their on base percentage will go up and solo home runs will become one and two home home run so I think I said 80 in the article and I think I'm going to stick with that I think that's a good number for them I think they're going to be exciting to watch I, I have some friends uh, that are Astros fans that are very excited for this year uh, mainly for 162 games of George Springer yeah well I agree with that so uh, I would bet you a beer I think I'll take the under on 80 wins but I think they are going to be uh, much improved this year so 
Uh, I want to quickly transition with you to the Tigers. Uh, I don't want to go too long here uh, in this You're not going to brag about stealing our best pitchers, are you? No, actually I'm not, although uh, I could argue both sides whether it was a terrible signing or a great signing, just depending on my mood in the day. But uh, I do want to get your opinion on what Detroit's done briefly just this offseason and where they appear you know, right now in a more, much more competitive, it looks like, AL Central. Well, uh, I like I like the defensive upgrades. Uh, I, those are significant. I mean, our defense has been famously terrible for the past several years. And uh, I wrote an article for the site. This, this could be a defense that's 60 runs better than we were last year. Get rid of Torrey Hunter and his iron glove. Uh, you move J.D. Martinez over to right field. That's a significant upgrade. Get Cespedes, he's a significant upgrade in left field. Uh, Iglesias, hopefully if he's healthy, is a significant upgrade, even with his weak bat over Andrew Romine, who we were throwing out at the uh, at the end of last year. Uh, Nick Castellanos, his, it can't be worse. And then you get to the pitching. I like the Shane Green trade. I think I, I, I really like, I think he's going to turn out to be a pretty pretty solid Major League pitcher. Uh, I am not an Alfredo Simone fan. Uh, he was good for one half of the season because he had an amazing BABIP, and when his BABIP came back to league level, he was terrible. And I'm afraid I, I, I just don't buy him being very good this year. And I know a, a lot of a lot of Tiger fans are well. You got to trust Dave Dombrowski. Dombrowski made the Doug Fister trade, and I I don't think this is going to work out any better. I still think we're probably the class of the AL Central. I like our hitting is still pretty good. Our bullpen should be better. Simply again, because it can't be much worse. A uh, couple of quick questions on the Tigers. Sure. Uh, Justin Verlander, does he bounce back this season? You know, off the injury that kind of slowed him up last off season, or are we starting to see the decline of a you know power pitcher? Well, he's in the best shape of his life, he says. So well, you know, so it's, is it's Jesus, golden. So is Jesus Montero and myself. <laughs> I don't think that means either of us can get a hit. I always love those. Are always my favorite articles. That's when you know spring is here, when everyone's in the best shape of their life. Uh, Verlander, he's got to adjust to the fact that he can't reach back and throw 100 miles an hour anymore. And I'm not sure if that's quite got through to him yet. We'll see how it comes in the spring. The secondary stuff is still very good. I think he's still probably uh, an upper division t- number two starter, which not what you want to pay $28 million for, but I think he's going to bounce back. I expect a pretty good season. I don't think, I think vintage Verlander is obviously in the path. Okay. And the bullpen was definitely their weakness last year. I'm surprised they didn't go after Andrew Miller or some of the other names on the block. Uh, what do you think of their bullpen and uh, kind of their setup of who they've got in the bullpen, you know, in the relief core? I try not to. Uh, Joe Nathan isn't very good. Uh, I think Soria is going to bounce back from kind of the, the tough time he had with the Tigers. A lot of that was due to an injury. Yeah, I forget uh, he's there. That's a good point. I've always liked Al Albuquerque, and I think the Tigers are going to give him much more of a prominent role. One one thing that really annoyed me about uh, our manager was uh, his, his uh, insistence that everyone has to have a role. The sixth inning is Albuquerque's inning, and the seventh inning is Soria's inning, and the eighth inning is Chamberlain's inning, and we don't care how bad they're pitching at this particular time. I think maybe he's learned a little bit. He's at least making noises in interviews like he has. So I like Al Albuquerque. Uh, Bruce Rondon, he throws hard, but he's just not been successful. You don't know what you're getting from him. Uh, I can never pronounce the uh, lefty's name. Gorzinski, we signed. Gorzolani? I think he could be pretty solid. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I, I think he could be pretty solid. Uh, I think they'll be okay. I mean, they really, they only have to be okay. Right. The starting pitching is still pretty good. Now, were you surprised that they didn't go out and get Andrew Miller or trade for Tyler Clippard or trade for another, or uh, I shouldn't say trade, but go get another bullpen arm? Stunned. I was expecting them to spend significant money on, on the bullpen this year. I know, of course, there's the uh, there's the thought that you do what they're doing this year and is and that you just bring in as many people as you can find and uh, you know hope that you hit the lottery. Yeah, and, and I would have liked an Andrew Miller. You know, I think if you're if you're expecting Joel Han- Hanahan to uh, come back, I think you're in for a bad surprise. 
Alex Wilson might be okay. We got him in the uh, in the Porcello trade. I think he'll throw some valuable innings. I don't think he's anything special. There's a lot of that. A lot of I don't think they're anything special in their bullpen. So they're really hoping the starting rotation is dominant, and then the bullpen can hang on. Right. They're hoping they're gonna that Nathan bounces back, that Soria bounces back. Albuquerque is an actual legitimate good pitcher. After that, maybe we have uh, one of our the, the number six or seven starters. You have Buck Farmer who who made an appearance last year. There's some talk that he might start the year in the bullpen. Kyle Lobstein, who kind of uh, took over the number five starting job in in September last year. There's talk that he might go into the bullpen. Yeah, I like Farmer. I liked him at Georgia Tech. I thought he was a good arm. Yeah, he, you know, he's got a nice arm, and it might be that he has an arm that's better suited for relief than starting. I although, could definitely see that. Although my thought is, you know, given our farm system, unless unless he's going to go into the bullpen this year and he's going to play a significant role and he's not just going to rot and pitch 20 innings, you know, I want to see him getting regular innings in, in Toledo. Yeah. Even if ultimately he's going to end up as a relief. Yeah, the only thing I would argue with conversely is he was a senior sign out of college. He's probably 25 or 26 now. You need to get him to the majors at some point and start getting yeah, 24. You know, oh. 24. So you know, I, I just I just looked him up on Baseball Reference. His birthday was yesterday. Oh wow! Happy birthday to him. You know, but uh, but I like that arm. So let's uh, before I let you go on Detroit. Uh, win total for Detroit this year. Oh, I'm gonna go with. 88 wins. I, I think we still, uh, and that might actually be our Pakoda. I can't remember. We won 90 last year. I think we take a significant step back in the uh, in the rotation, but we take a significant step forward, maybe even as significant, uh, just with uh, improvements to the defense. I think 88 wins. I think we still win the, the AL Central, although I think it'll be close. And uh, although I, I think our window's closing, I think this year, next year, they should still be at least competitive for the. Uh, at the top of the AL Central. All right, so 88 wins for Detroit and 80 wins for Houston. All right, I'll yep. put that in the book. Ben, I'm calling you in from the bullpen, brother. I'm running in. I'm All right, in. don't run in too fast. We can't be, you know, getting any of that speed issues, you know. <laughs> Although with now speeding up the game, maybe you do need to come from a full sprint. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but first place I want to start with you, obviously uh, you mentioned you're a Toronto fan, but I, I first became acquainted with your work on Banished to the Pen with a Cole Hamels uh, piece you wrote, which I thought was just terrific. And with all the trade rumors and Hamels speaking out this week about maybe wanting to be dealt, I, I kind of wanted to just give you a floor to talk about your piece and w- kind of what you examined in it. Yeah, well, well, with the rumors flying around, I guess it, it's been going on the whole offseason. But I guess this came this came out in January when uh, things were even more and more heavy in terms of discussions and players involved. So I wanted to really look at, aside from the player himself, um, is is it really are you, are you getting just the player or are you taking some money? Are you, do you have to pay extra to get him? Because it, it's similar to like what, what happened with Kemp. Um, you know, we know Kemp's a great player when he's healthy, but. For 120 million dollars, or or whatever, over 100 million, or whatever he's getting paid, it's it's not simply getting a good play on your team. There's there's obviously a sacrifice. So using the the value of about eight eight million dollars for one war, one win above replacement, I tried to put in perspective using some sort of linear regression back to back to his his sorry forwards to his next five years whether it was going to be worth it um, for a team to trade trade for him and and trade him trade for him for someone for a piece that you're really getting um, a lot of value for and what i really came across was his contract is really extremely fair using using every million dollar that he's going to be getting over the next 4 years and he has a vesting million a vesting option excuse me in, in 2019 He's going to be worth probably every dollar. Whether he's going to be worth more than every dollar, uh, I I would disagree with that. But I think it's really his contract really stipulates exactly how much he should be paid. So when you're considering trading for Cole Hamels, as Boston's been mixed in because they have a lot of young players, and as 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 has been a lot of other teams, it comes down to do you like Hamels or not because. 
the financial commitments that are due to him are fair. Well, and that leads into the next question about that is, if the contract is fair, as you say, which doesn't mean to say it's a bad contract or necessarily a good contract, do you think he gets traded considering the price tag of what seems like two you know, pretty elite-level prospects? Right, and, and, and part of that answer comes to how smart is Ruben Amaro Jr., right? If his, oh, if his a... team looks sort of at a point where they might be the worst set organization in the league right now. There's some youth, sure. They have that. They have that young shortstop. Um, they have. They have another arm, but they're probably in one of the worst places in the league right now. And whether Amaro can capitalize on that uh, remains to be seen. And he's already said that. You know, he hasn't really gotten any good offers at all. Whether that's true or not, I I, I would be very hesitant because there's there was a lot of arms on the market this year, and a lot of teams missed out. Um, including Boston, who sort of went the cheap way, and and brought in some you know non not not ex- extremely elite guys. Um, he probably is worth it, and he has a, he has been fairly healthy for most of his career, and you know as as much as it's been overstated in podcasts and in baseball writing, the biggest determinant of you know future injury is your previous injury history. And with him being pretty healthy, I know he missed about, about a month last year, but that didn't seem anything chronic. He's definitely worth a couple a couple of nice prospects. So final question on the Hamels. Does he get dealt uh, before opening day? No. I think it might be a trade deadline thing. I, I don't think Amaro is seeing the light right now. Well, I'm not sure he's capable. He might be Stevie Wonder. I'm not sure he can see the light. <laughs> uh, exactly. So, okay, I want to shift off of Hamill's and that great piece, and I recommend everybody go to Banish to the Pen and check it out because that was a good read. Uh, I want to switch over to Toronto. Uh, I know we had somebody cover the Blue Jays offseason a little bit uh, a few weeks ago on the site, but I wanted to ask you a little bit different questions and uh, talk a little bit more about their young arms that they have. Uh, we've heard some rumors about Aaron Sanchez perhaps becoming the closer this season. Uh, uh, Daniel Norris and Marcus Stroman are kind of knocking right at the door of the major league level and, and about to break out. Uh, let's start with Aaron Sanchez. Uh, do you think he's the closer this year? I don't think he's the closer this year. Um, but but it comes, it's a little bit different whether I think so, but I think he should be the closer, or is he going to be the closer? Um, he might. He, he probably will be given a chance to start in the rotation. I know they're trying to stretch him out in spring training. Um, my thought is that they should be keeping Cecil in the, as a closer right now and keeping Sanchez in the pen. So I actually don't think he should be in the rotation right away. What they did with him earlier when he was called up was it was sort of a, a Del Matances type role where he'd be throwing two innings here, maybe a couple days off, maybe go two and two-thirds. And then near the end, if you look at his game logs, it's a lot of more one-inning stints. But I think if you keep him in in the sort of two-inning um, stretch reliever, probably and, – and a lot of being a closer isn't necessarily – you're not always in the high-leverage situations. So if you need to you know, put him out for two innings, two and a third innings against a good team in a tight game, starting in, let's say, the seventh inning or something, you can do that. And it keeps him a little bit more stretched out than if he's on that one-inning, ninth-inning closer schedule – because we know that you know starters get injured, and he's going to be needed at some point to be a starter this year, and hopefully for the future. So by keeping him at least a little stretched out and doing some high, you know, high leverage innings, I think that's the best place for him right now. Okay, so assuming he stays healthy, and that's always a huge caveat, but let's assume that. How many innings do you see Sanchez throwing for Toronto this year? So maybe around one, one forty. If I gave him like ten to fifteen starts, and then the rest of that in relief, okay, it probably puts like one thirty, one forty or something. So that's assuming that he starts in the bullpen, I guess, and then gets some starts later in the year when somebody gets hurt or right ineffectiveness right. or whatever. Right. Okay. Well, right. Makes, so you wouldn't be drafting Sanchez as your closer in in fantasy leagues. I would not be. Okay. Very good. Okay, now I want to ask you, like I said, I want to get a couple of uh, your thoughts on a couple of other uh, young arms, Daniel Norris and uh, Marcus Stroman. 
Yeah, well, I'll start with Strowman. Um, it's very comforting to know that he is locked in his rotation. There's really no questions. He sort of answered all the height questions last year. Um, and it, it, yeah, it's just it's nice to have a guy that you're not worried about in the Jays' rotation because that, that's sort of been a problem. They, you know, they've done the big Dickey trade and the Josh Johnson trade, and it sort of worked out with Dickey, kind of. And Josh Johnson, obviously, we know what happened there. But he, he really is a force, and he can be one of the best pitchers in the American League, like like he was last year. You know, he didn't really get any, you know, rookie credibility. Sorry, rookie, you know, love last year. Um, you know, and it, it's true he didn't he didn't pitch as long as he as the other guys, but he's going to be one of the best pitchers in the American League this year. And that's not me being a, a Jays homer. He, he has a quite a big repertoire. I, I was I was on Brooks Baseball the other day and. Seems like he's got six pitches he uses that much. Uh, a lot of different fastballs, and maybe that helps the height issue. Maybe that did last year. But uh, it seems like he's he sort of overcome that for now, and at least in the near future. Yeah, he might be the one guy I'm most looking forward to watching pitch in the American League this year. And nobody's talking about him. But Strum, that curveball is, well, we got, it's a you know family-friendly chat here, is a, a guy, I don't even have a, a G-rated word for it. It's just mean. It's awful. It's just, and it, it's so tight, too. It's, it's so ama- tight, too. It's maybe the best curveball I've seen in the last four or five years. I mean, it's extraordinary. Right. And right. particularly coming from such a short pitcher, you don't expect to see that type of a curveball. Normally, it's the big guys that can get that big loop on it, but he just snaps it. It's amazing. And it makes it better, too, because curveball is sort of one of the pitches that typically batters aren't swinging at that much compared to sliders and fastballs. So, but if he can get that tight, tight break like he did last year, um, then it's it's even more of a strikeout weapon as it is just sort of getting balls over and mixing hitters up. Well, and having the strike zone so much lower nowadays definitely helps the curveball pitchers too because they can get the calls where they weren't ten years ago. Right. Exactly. So, so now, uh, and, and Russell Martin helps too. Well, that's for sure. So you think Stroman is a long-term starter then? Definitely. Okay. Definitely. I, I kind of tend to agree with you, although we've all had to answer that question at some time or another. So, uh, Daniel Norris, got to have you talk about him a little bit. Yeah. He, he's exciting too. Cause he really, he wasn't putting up any elite numbers, um, in 2013 and then just started climbing up, climbing up the prospect wall. Just like, sort of like Mookie Betts did this in Boston, but Norris sort of did it out of, out of the, out of his truck where he lives. If anyone's not aware of that, I'm sure the entire world is aware of, Norris living in a, in a van. Yeah, he had a great tweet Norris, yesterday yeah. saying that uh, he was taking a nap at a Whole Foods and somebody came up and tried to give him money thinking he was homeless. <laughs> <laughs> well, he he looks the part. He's got and he's got he, yeah, he also has one of those thick beards that Sam has. Well, but I obviously I would consider Sam more more of a home full person than than Norris. Yeah, Norris has got like a 45 beard and Sam's got a 7 beard. I mean, <laughs> so. Exactly. But so with Norris he is – I don't consider him to be a loogie. And if you want to put him in the pen, is that kind of what he's going to be, I guess, unless he's a long man? I don't see him starting the year in the majors, which is fine because I think he should be put it, pushed into a starter role. So to keep him starting in the minors is probably the, your best bet right now. Um, do I think he wouldn't be effective in the bullpen? Like, of course not. But they have a couple lefties now, and I'm not. I'm not – glamoring about Louis Perez, but another lefty they signed recently as well. So I think it's for him to just wait till, unfortunately I have to say it, but the first guy goes down and he gets a chance. Whether he gets a chance before Sanchez, you know, that, maybe that's a, a nice question to answer. Uh, and one that I don't, probably don't have the answer to yet. Maybe we have to see in spring training how, how they're both looking. And how are they rated, Sanchez versus Norris, how are they rated kind of by the general public? Who, and maybe even more the, the Blue Jays fandom, who, who's the higher prospect or who are people more eager to see? I think Norris has better mechanics from my understanding and, and projects more as a long-term starter as opposed to Sanchez, who has, who's sort of the you know, high, lever, high gas throwing, fast, big, you know, he's got like a 65-70 fastball. And that sort of projects a little bit more to bullpen. But I think they're pretty close. Um, and also you can throw Hoffman into that mix too. 
he's healthy now or, or healthy-ish now from his TJ, and he's sort of climbing in that tier two. I think they had – I think if you throw in a Zuna, they almost had four four guys in the top 100 this year or, or just outside the top 100 this year. I mean, Hoffman is a bad man. I saw him pitch last year at ECU. He is just a bad man. He is a great – if he's healthy – uh, the Blue Jay fans are going to have a lot of years of enjoying watching him pitch. He's just tough as nails. Yeah, and, and I, I don't—he's probably a 20, 2016 topic, but that's even better, right? You, you know, you don't want all your guys coming up. We only have spots for so many people, and hopefully, only a certain amount of guys get hurt that we we need to use everybody right away. We don't need to use everybody right away. Right. Well, that leads into my final question with Toronto, or final questions, I should say, and. Uh, I'd love to get a bold prediction for you about the Blue Jays season and an over and or a uh, win total for the uh, Blue Jays. So I'll, I'll start with the bold prediction. I'm going to say that Edwin and Bautista combine for over or three three hundred point over three hundred point five games. Okay, I didn't think that's where you were going yeah. with it, but okay. If yeah. you get and, if you get over three hundred games from those guys. That should be a good season in Toronto, I would think. I, I'm bold. Like, yeah, you, you don't you don't even need to say it. I'm bold. I but, like uh, it though. So so I guess having my bold prediction come true, I'm gonna I'm gonna say 87 wins. Okay. Uh, I think I think having Smoke play first and he's a pretty he has a pretty good glove there and Lynn was sort of not really what we wanted at first, so it had Edwin playing more of the field. Maybe that keeps him looser. Um, and I guess for on for Bautista's sake, there's there's not really any indicators that. He should be more healthy than he was last year, but you know, here's hoping. So, is 87 wins get them a playoff spot? I think it keeps them competitive until the last day of September, and it might be a, a Tampa Bay Boston situation of a few years ago, where you're 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 watching the last game from the from the clubhouse on the TV to see what's going to go happen. Okay. All right. 87 wins for Toronto. We've got some uh, very optimistic predictions this week from our guys. Okay. Very cool. So uh, let's uh, plunge ahead. Let's move forward now, guys. Uh, kind of the big baseball news of the week that I think we need to talk about a little bit is, I guess, on Thursday or Friday of this week, Major League Baseball announced that they are implementing some rules to try to speed up the game and try to work on the pace of play of the Major League game. Uh, we touched on this a little bit last week in the podcast, but it was much more of a hypothetical, maybe this would happen, or what you would do if we could do it. Now I want to turn it to the fellas and have them talk about kind of their thoughts of the actual rule changes. Uh, I've been talking to Ben a bunch lately, so let me tag Mark back in and, and get your thoughts uh, first and foremost. I, I like these. These were the most obvious kind of, of, of slow period in a baseball game. I, I can all right. I thought these were really the most obvious changes that needed needed to be made as far as, as the time, of, the pace of play is concerned. I'm not one that's really been overly concerned with the pace of play, but the managers ambling out there and chatting with the umpire for two or three minutes while someone is looking upstairs at the replay, that had to go. The, uh, you know, starting promptly after commercial breaks means and less inane chatter from national broadcasters. I'm a huge fan of that. Uh, having the hitters not adjusting themselves for 10 minutes. These are all things that were just added nothing to the game. I'm not a big fan of the pitch clock. You know, that's happening when there is actually action going on. This was just all extraneous. I think it's going to take significant time. I, I bet we're going to see 10 minutes maybe off of, of, of an average game, five minutes off of an average game. I just think it, they all really help the flow. So I think it's a good start. Uh, ben? Yeah, so I don't know if you guys are trivia crack fans at all, but a couple days ago, sort of right when these rules changes were announced, I came across a, a question in trivia crack, which is sort of just a general trivia game, asking which of these sports is not timed? And if you can guess it, baseball was the correct answer, which I thought was very fitting for for what was you know relevant in the baseball news at the time. And basically, yeah. So what Mark was saying, having these rules without the pitch clock and without actually timing things, uh, I like to see that a lot. Um, one thing that I wanted to point point out though, one of the rules being managers challenging plays from the dugout. Um, I, I I kind of find that. 
the, the whole walking out of the dugout and talking to the umpire and sort of getting your crew ready to challenge. I find that pretty suspenseful personally. Um, that might be the biggest out of, out of the few rule changes they made. That might be the biggest one to cut off time. Um, but I, I kind of enjoy that aspect of it, whether it's fair or not, whether it's fair to allow your team to sort of quickly look on their computers and upstairs and see if it's challenge worthy or not. Maybe that's a little unfair, but I think it does add suspense to the game where maybe the two minutes a game or you know, a minute and a half per game that it would cut off might not be worth it. Hmm, that's an interesting take, man. I don't. I will say I, I disagree with you, but I find that an interesting take. Like I said, I think uh, I, I I can see what you're saying about the suspense. I definitely see that. I like getting rid of the dead time, but like you hmm. said, I I definitely see your point. I like that take. Yeah, and and you know, sort of while it's going on, while they're the you know the, like the thirty seconds that it takes for the manager to to decide whether to challenge it on the TV, I I get the angle of whether they should challenge it or not too. So I'm. I'm sort of saying, oh, no, 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 you know, don't challenge it, don't challenge it, don't challenge it, or, you know, or vice versa, because I'm getting the angle as well. And so maybe I get into the game a little bit more because of that, too. That's an interesting take. I I certainly hadn't thought of it that way, for sure. Mm -hmm. I'll give you credit. That's a good take. Uh, The biggest thing, and I don't think either of you guys have mentioned it, and I mentioned on the podcast last week, that the batter now has to stay in the batter's box to me. I I think that's going to be a huge deal. I think that's going to really speed up the game more than we realize. I don't think we realize how often these guys step out of the box and take a couple of swings and look up at the sky and, you know, adjust the batting gloves and this and that. I mean, it won't get rid of all of that. But I think that keeping these fools in the batter's box is going to really, at least one foot in, is going to speed up play. I think that's a good point, Ryan. So, all right. Well, uh, I'm a big, you know, what else would you guys do? I guess to, to kind of wrap this talk about, is there anything, you know, would you guys go a step farther with these moves or are you okay with the pace of play? Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead first. Um, I, yeah, we, but we know that it has sort of lengthened lately and you know, the numbers behind it that it, you know, especially for the last 10 years or so. Um, it's, it's hard to say that I've noticed a huge change in in the few years that I've been sort of seriously following baseball before, you know, it'd be more casual. Um, I think they will help. If I were to add something, it might not be actually having a timer for the pitching, but we know guys like, like Joel Peralta, for example, we know how long it takes to, to watch him pitch. You know, you eat a dinner and he's thrown three pitches in the whole, the whole, your whole dinner. And maybe just having a reminder or a, or a warning to say, look, Joel, it's, you know, it's, it's been two minutes already. You throw in one pitch. Can you please hurry up? Versus having actual clock visible, or or even you know a stopwatch. Just sort of, maybe just having sort of a, for lack of a better word, ballpark, you know, time of when you should have thrown a pitch. Yeah, I think that's a good take. Although I will say I I would turn back to uh, our coach last week. Uh, Scott was on and and he uses they have a pitch clock at the D three level and he said it really never comes into play, which I thought was interesting. So. Hopefully his experience, you know, comes true. But like you say, I watched Tyler Clippert all these years in D.C. and great pitcher. But if anybody got on base, you could have an ent- you could drink a beer in the time it took to throw a batter to a batter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, all right, guys. So would you? Sp- uh, and sorry, I want to get to Mark too. Uh, your thoughts? Would you? Any other thoughts on speeding up the game? I, I think you guys have a really good point about you don't need a, a pitch clock to kind of hurry these pitchers along. If there's a rule, just call a ball. They'll get the idea. I mean, we have David Price, so we we know from slow pitchers in, uh, here in here in Michigan and uh, Tiger fans. I really, just I've been watching baseball for a long time, thirty some odd years, and uh, it's just not gotten to the point where I'm bored watching a baseball game. So. Really, the pace of play for me isn't a big deal. I understand for casuals, maybe it is. And getting rid of some of these dead times is is good. And and just like making, I think you made a good point, Ryan, about having the hitters, if they stay in the box, that's less dead time. And and you're just having more actual baseball instead of, you know, watching someone adjust their batting gloves for the 47th time in at-bat. Well, and we haven't targeted the real problem, which is the time between innings and the commercials. I, I mean, that is, and I know that you know we could argue that till the cows come home about 
you know, hey, they're not going to get rid of the commercials. But that's really the difference. It, you know, I mentioned it before, the minor league product or the college game versus the major league game. It, it's so much faster because you don't have the two and a half to three minutes between innings and between half innings for these commercials to get in there. So I, I wish they would try to attack like we both, you know, all of us have said, getting rid of this, uh, the dead time when the game's not going on in between the innings, in between pitches, speeding up that part of the game. I don't have a problem with the actual pace of the baseball game once they're throwing and playing. So Yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've uh, I think we've covered this topic. I think we can move on from it a little bit. So all right guys, last uh, last question I always like to ask, a little lighthearted to end up uh, end the week. Baseball biggest pet peeve of yours. I don't know if either one of you guys wants to start. We've we've kind of gone with both of you guys a bunch here. So uh, whoever wants to jump in first, biggest pet peeve. Sure, I, I don't mind starting. Um, so I, I recently put up a piece on Bench of the Pen about my favorite sort of announcer home run calls and basically just the catchphrases that the guys of today will will reiterate well, when, it, when their home team hits a home run. That and it got a- me thinking a little bit more about how much I cannot stand Buck Martinez and Pat Tabler. And just hearing their voice, sort of, you know, if I, while, even while I'm asleep, it just, just rings in my ears and I, I, can't, I can't turn it off. It really drives me crazy. You know, there, and there's even, there's even a, a site and Twitter page just dedicated to, to Buck Martinez blunders. Wow. And I just can't, you know, express how, how much I, I, I miss the old, the old gang with Jamie and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's funny you say that because you want to like Buck, and it, it just it's tough. Yeah, and I guess it, and it should it, we should like him, right? It's a catcher, I guess he's got. Sort of... and, and that's what I want to say. You want to like him, and you feel yeah. like he should be really good, and just he, he makes some botches. Yeah, it's just his voice. You, you'd recognize it. You know, you'd hear it a mile away. Yeah, the that's Buck a, Martinez voice. That's a good one. I like that. Buck Martinez, biggest pet peeve. I like it. Uh, Mark. Well. Uh... You know, really, what annoys me, I could spend hours talking about what annoys me about the unfortunate times when the Tigers are on a national broadcast. It's really, <laughs> when you have these sanctimonious announcers talking about how, oh, well, you people that look at all the stats, why don't you watch the game? That's part of watching the game. That's been part of watching the game, you know, since I was a kid looking at the baseball card, look at the numbers. That I look at more numbers to derive more enjoyment of, of it is, uh, you know, is is unsurprising. And every time Joe Morgan or another one of the morons say something like that, it just really irritates me. And I'm sure unsurprisingly, people that are listening to this podcast are probably generally in agreement. But uh, it just gets to the point. I, I would hell, I'd rather listen to Buck Martinez than Joe Buck. Yeah, there's a uh, it's amazing. You can tell we watch so many games. You can see the difference between the good announcers and the bad announcers. And like you said, I wish the color guys would spend more time kind of talking about, you know, most of them are former players, so you wish they would talk a little bit more about what they think is coming up rather than harping on the you didn't play bandwagon. I think we're a little over that at this point. At least I hope we are. Well, maybe we're not, but I hope we are. I don't think we are, unfortunately. (laughs) And and I think a a good example of that is, you know, when I was a kid, Steve Stone was uh, the color commentator for Harry Carey, and inevitably he talked about, well, kids, this is the defense is, is in this alignment because of this, or this is going to happen. And he was correct a lot. And it really enhances your enjoyment of the game instead of having some uh, inane interview happening in the middle of the World Series when I'm trying to pay attention to the game. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's very important to meet the new star of Glee rather than, <laughs> rather than you know, talking baseball. I, I, I think that's a great one. You guys both hit great ones this week. Uh, as I try to do each week, I've got another new pet peeve that's been sticking in my craw a little bit, and it's just the topic of Alex Rodriguez. Huh. We've reached the point where he can do no wrong. It, everybody wants their pound of flesh. He tries to apologize, and everybody criticizes an apology. It's like, guys, w- what do you want from him, blood? It, it, you know, he took steroids. So did a lot of other people, and everybody wants to punish A-Rod and Barry Bonds and, to a lesser degree, Roger Clemens because of it. Guys, Probably 50% of the ballplayers were taking it, maybe more. Let's move on. A-Rod's a bad guy. He's a good guy. Who cares? But it, 
let's move on. This topic's this is more than beating a dead horse. We, we've beyond taken the dead horse. So that's my small little pet peeve rant for the week. It's just uh, let, let's move on from A-Rod. If he plays well on the field, great. If he doesn't, that's even better. Well said. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Uh, I don't know if I've still got both of you guys on. I thought I heard a little something. But uh, before we end the week, I would like to uh, have you guys once again just throw out your Twitter handle, where we can find your work online, and uh, say goodbye to everybody. Well, thanks a lot, Ryan. And once again, you can find me at bsuisa on Twitter. Thanks a lot. Very cool, Ben. Uh, you're doing some great work at the site, so thanks for joining me today. Yeah. Okay, Mark, uh, space for your plugs here, where we can find your work, Twitter, and all that good stuff. Well, you can find me on Twitter. Oh, thanks again, Ryan, for having me on the podcast. I've been a big fan, and I was uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at SharkMGS. Um, you can I write exclusively, well, I guess in the Michigan courts and on Banish to the Pen. Uh, <laughs> and like I said, it's it's just it it's it's just such a pleasure to read all of the articles on the site. Everyone does such a great job, and it's. It's just so fun that I'm actually writing about baseball and other people are reading it and care. It's outstanding. Yeah, well, you've been doing some great work. And uh, if anybody gets into some legal troubles in the Michigan area, uh, <laughs> definitely uh, at least keep Mark in mind. So hopefully we're not getting in any trouble. I'm not condoning that. But uh, if you need some help, at least we've got a, a lawyer on the team now, which is something you always need. Oh, thanks a lot, Ryan, and uh, I really enjoy your podcasts. Well, thank you so much, and thanks for joining us today. You're a great guest, and uh, I look forward to talking to some baseball with you in the future. Thanks. Me too. And that was Episode 8 of the Banish to the Pen podcast with Mark Sands and Ben Suiza. Thanks to them for joining me today and for their contributions thus far to the site. Uh, I'd also like to publicly thank all the writers, the editors, contributors, technical staff, just everybody. Uh, big, heartfelt, and collective thank you. Uh, for all their hard work at Banish to the Pen. We're doing a lot of great things, and a lot of people are getting some recognition uh, for the good work that we're doing. So I'm glad that uh, a lot of people are working very hard, and I'm glad to see some fruits of our labor starting to work out. So thanks, guys. Great job. Great work. With that, this episode is a wrap. I am your host, Ryan Sullivan, at NatsGM.com on Twitter, reminding you, be nice to your fellow listeners. What day is today? It's Nibbler's birthday. What a day for a birthday. Let's all have some cake. And you smell like one, too. <laughs>